Please remain standing as we read God's word together. We are in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Let's hear God speak through his word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, let's pray together. God, we come before you poor and needy, crying out to you for help this morning. We're grateful for the loving and gracious gift of your word and your Holy Spirit. As you've given us your word, I pray that you would penetrate and convict our hearts with it by your spirit and drive it deep within us so that we might see you and our identity in you and how we're called to live in light of that. Help us to have open eyes to see, open our ears to hear that we might see how you're speaking to us today and we might respond rightly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. I wonder if you've ever seen the, the Bob Newhart skit of a woman who knows there's something in her life that she needs changed. So she decides to go to counseling. She hears word that there's this one counselor who promises he can give the solution to your problem. So she visits the counselor. He says, I can deliver the solution for you. He says these words. I'm going to say two words to you right now, and I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them into your life. It's just two words, okay? Here they are. Stop it. S-T-O-P-I-T, stop it. That's his advice. That's his counseling, right? If only it worked that way. If only it were that easy. 
I wonder how many of you this morning, as you think about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and and living for him and the presence of sin in your life, and you've thought or you've heard those words, just stop it. Stop that way. I wonder if you've felt that. Well, if you follow Jesus, you are called to live in a new way of life. And the reality is there is the presence of sin in all of us that we are called to fight and to put to death. Think about how we pray often. We say, Father, forgive us for the things that we have done, the ways of sin. But we also say, Father, forgive us for the things that we have not done, the ways of Christ that we are called to live in. See, the questions this morning that we have to wrestle with and think through is what does it mean, what does it look like for me to live rightly as a Christian? But how do I do that? Do I simply just stop it? How do I live in the new ways of Christ? Well, instead of the advice to just simply stop it, I think Paul turns our attention in a different way. I thought about it this way this, this week as I, I heard a story last week about a, a boy who was the son of a prostitute. And he had a very difficult early life living in that type of environment. And he ended up going to live with his grandfather. And he went out one day with his grandpa. He went to the store. They were going shopping. And he decided to do a little shopping his own. But in the ways that he had kind of normally done it or normally thought, the five-finger discount. He would just took a snack, put it in his pocket, and walked off. So his grandfather paid for all of the, the things. He got in the car. He opened up this snack. and started. His grandfather said, where, where did you get that? Well, he owned up to it. So the grandfather went in, paid for the snack. And on the way home, the drive home, this, this boy was, was thinking, surely that's it. I'm done. I bet you I'm leaving the house tonight. But as he gets home, the grandfather picks him up, puts him on the bed so they can look at him eye to eye. And he says these words. He says, you belong to me now. You don't have to live in that way anymore. That way leads to death. See, he was communicating to this boy that that something had changed in him. His identity had changed. He, He had a secure belonging with his grandfather. And now he was to live out that belonging in his life. He needed to learn how to live in the new ways, living these old ways behind. But he now belongs. Something had changed in his life. So now his life is now to reflect that. This is what Paul is doing in our passage today. He's basically, he's putting the Colossians up on the bed and looking them in the eyes and says, something has changed in you. Something is different. It's your identity in Christ. And as a result of that, you need to put those old ways behind you and start living in the new ways. The old ways lead to death. But our passage tells us that that we are actually empowered and enabled to do that because of our identity that has been changed, our identity in Christ. Well, I want to start with us in the very first words of our text. Look there with me in verse 1 where it says, If then you have been raised with Christ You see, this was the source of change, of identity for the Colossians. And it's a source of change and identity for us. It's being united with Christ by faith. You see, they had received Jesus. We studied this a few weeks ago. By trusting in Jesus to deliver them from the the sins of of, of their life and, and forgive them of the sin in their life, 
But our passage really expands this reality that not only did Jesus die to to deal with the penalty and punishment of our sin, but he was raised to life to give us power so that we might deal with the presence of sin in our life and walk in the newness of life. See, I think too often in, in our thoughts about Christianity and the Christian life is we purely focus on Christ and the past event of the atoning sacrifice of the cross But here we're looking forward and the ongoing work of Christ as we are raised with him, united with him by faith and living in his strength and in his power. See, that's this this reality, this, this union with Christ, an intimate and inseparable relationship between the believer and Jesus in which Jesus is applying the benefits of salvation to them and empowering them to walk in the newness of life. Verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, those words make all the difference. We cannot and will not walk in the new ways of Christ and put to death the old ways of sin unless, first and foremost, we are in Christ and we are raised with him. This is where Paul starts. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, is this true of you? Have you been raised with Christ? Have you trusted in him and received him and received the salvation that is in him? Not just his death, but trusting in his resurrection, which gives us eternal life, yes, but gives us power and empowers us to walk in the newness of life. Is that true of you this morning? Well, what we're going to look at in the, in the rest of this passage is basically described in, in three ways. Is that this change in our life because of a change in our identity means this. We must, first and foremost, commit ourselves to an upward pursuit. Verses 1 to 4. But then he says, we must put to death the ways of sin. Verses 5 to 11. But we must put on the ways of Christ. Verses 12 to 17. So first, because we've been raised with Christ, we must commit to an upward pursuit in life. What does this mean? Well, he says in verses 1 and 2, look with me where he says, Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, no longer on the things that are on earth. He's directing our hearts. He's directing our minds. He's directing our purposes upward to where Christ is. This upward pursuit is really contradictory to our our natural selves, isn't it? Martin Luther coined this this phrase that's kind of rooted in in, uh, the the thought of Augustine centuries earlier. It's this Latin phrase, forgive me for the pronunciation, but it's incurvatus in se. Incurvatus in se, which means this, curved inward on oneself. That's this reality of the earthly ways that we are curved inward on ourselves because we are under the reign and rule of sin and broken by sin and therefore our thoughts, our hearts, our purposes are curved inward upon ourselves. Thinking about ourselves, looking out for ourselves, this is sin. And apart from Christ, this is our reality. We're curved inward. But if we've been raised with Christ, we are no longer to be curved inward on ourselves, but we're to be curved upward towards Christ. And I think he describes this in the rest of these few verses in two ways. He says, this, this means submit to Christ. An upward pursuit means we submit to Christ. Why do I say that? Well, he says, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Not only is Jesus risen, that is true, and we should say amen, but Jesus is reigning, and we should say amen. So we have a risen Savior, and we have a reigning Savior, so an upward pursuit means we are submitting our hearts, submitting our minds, submitting our purposes to him orienting all of it around him and his values and his kingdom's values and his purposes of his kingdom. No longer orienting our lives and centering our lives around ourselves. Think about this with me for a moment as we think about scripture and and set our minds on the things that are above. Listen to what John says in the book of Revelation where he gives us a clear picture of the heavenly realm and of Christ. Listen to these words. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and elders and many angels numbering myriads of myriads saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And later on he says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Where Christ is. Everybody is bowing down, worshiping. Everybody is looking to him. He is at the center of it all. And it is oriented and revolved around him. And they are serving Christ night and day. And he is sheltering them in his presence, wiping away their tears. This is reality in heaven. And we are to live our lives now in that same way of submitting our desires and our hearts and our minds and thoughts to him as king. This is key to everything that Paul is telling us. But an upward pursuit is not just submit to Christ, but hope in Christ. Verses 3 and 4, he says, you've died. You died to sin, past. You're hidden with Christ, present. And you will appear in glory with Christ, future. We are bound for glory if our identity is in Christ. We have a glorious hope So we're trusting in that and we're dwelling on that and we're thinking about that and we're submitting ourselves. This is an upward pursuit in life. Now it's so interesting as we then are going to get into some very practical things about putting sin to death and putting on the ways of Christ. But he starts here at the level of our thoughts, at the level of our desires, at the level of our purposes Because that is actually the true source of change. That if we are raised with Christ and his power is dwelling in us and we are seeking the things that are above where Christ is, that is where change actually happens. George Mueller, many of you know, uh, was in the 19th century and is known for his ministry to orphans. And he helps us think through this idea of a daily upward pursuit of Jesus He said this, the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. And he did this as he opened up the scriptures and poured out his heart and poured out his mind upon them, orienting orienting himself around Christ and how Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. Is that our first effort in the day? is which we are trying to submit ourselves to Christ as we open up the scriptures and as we seek him in prayer. Paul is starting at the level of our desires and the level of our thoughts and ultimately the level of our identity, 
which has now changed because of Christ. But this is not just a philosophical, abstract reality. Paul does say this works itself out very practically in our life. So not only must we commit to an upward pursuit of Christ, but we must commit to put to death the ways of sin. Verses 5 to 11. Earthly things. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. That's everything that is in rebellion to God, resisting God, resisting his rule, and instead living under the rule and reign of sin. And Paul's using very strong language here when we think about the presence of sin and we think about our battle and our fight against sin because often we minimize sin and we try to contain sin, we try to keep it under control, but Paul goes much further than that. I was thinking about an article that Pastor Stringer uh, has referenced before. Um, It's about this woman in Pennsylvania who had a 15 by 15 foot steel cage. And within that steel cage was a 350 pound black bear within her own house. (laughs) So she would feed this bear and she, in a sense, raised this little cub until it grew up and then she kept it. So one day, as she normally did, she took a, a, a shovel full of dog food and put it in one corner so that she could go in the other corner and start to clean that cage. But the bear turned on her and attacked her and very tragically killed her. And she died. And as they started to think and, and investigate this, they, they also looked at her life. Not only did she have a black bear, but she had other wild animals. She had a mountain lion. She had a tiger. See, these animals are not to be caged within your house. These are deadly, aggressive, dangerous animals. And Paul is saying we need to think about our sin in that way. Sin is deadly. Sin is dangerous. Genesis 4 describes sin as crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but we must rule over it. We must put it to death. In verses 5 and verses 8 and verse 9, he starts to to list these vices, these sins, the, the old way of the sinful desires and sinful ways. He describes sexual sins of the body and the mind. He describes the selfish desires of the heart. He describes the sinful attitudes of our minds. He, de- he describes the sinful speech and the way that we talk to and about one another. And he's putting this on display. And he says they must all be put to death. As John Owens says, he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. See, in this section, Paul gives two motivations of why we are to be putting sin to death. And first, it's very clearly because sin is deadly. It leads to death. Verse 6, Paul says, on account of these The wrath of God is coming. God is going to pour out his wrath upon these sins. As the Apostle John said, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So what he's trying to do, he's trying to warn us so that it might awaken spiritual, lazy, and content souls to put sin to death through repentance and ridding ourselves of it. It's not to be maintained. It is not to be minimized we put sin to death because it leads to death but not only that in verses 10 and 11 he says we put sins to death because that's not who you are 
anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You once lived this way. You once walked in that way. But now, verse 8, verses 10 and 11 describe this putting off of the old self and putting on of the new self, which has happened. This reality that is true if you have been raised with Christ And it's an understanding of kind of taking off one pair of clothes and putting on a a new pair of clothes. And he says, this has happened to you. A few weeks ago, Pastor Tommy used this beautiful illustration from the voyage of the Don Treader about Eustace, who had become a lion. Excuse me, Aslan is the lion. (laughs) Eustace had become a dragon because of his greedy heart and his greedy behavior. And he was trying to remove these scales But he couldn't. But Aslan came and he removed the scales from him. But not only that, Aslan gave him new clothes. He gave him new clothes that he was wearing and living in. So what Paul is saying, he says that Christ has removed these scales from us and put new clothes upon us. But the warning here is the same picture as if Eustace, with these new clothes, is to go back and say, no, I want these scales again. And I'm going to put these scales back on my skin. The scales that he worked so hard to remove, but only Aslan could. It's the same warning for us. Are, are we going back to the scales? Back to the old ways of sin? Don't go back to the scales. You have new clothes on. And you have a new status. Not an earthly one, but a heavenly one. You're not defined by the earthly ways in verse 11, but you're defined by Christ. And there is equal ground in and through Jesus Christ. The saying has gone, if you've been raised with Christ, you have peace with God. But the reality is you now are at war with sin. You're at war with the presence of sin in your life if you have peace with God and if you have been raised with God. God. We have received forgiveness in Christ and an unshakable hope for eternity, but we must rid ourselves of the presence of sin. It is a lifelong battle. So we ask ourselves today, where do, where do you see the presence of sexual sin in your life, in your mind, and in your actions? What about the attitudes of, of greed? What are you coveting? What are you wanting? How are you curved inward in your desires, seeking things to please yourself? What about how you think about other people? What you say about other people? How are you using your tongue and your speech? Paul is saying it must be put to death. The scriptures have something to speak to every single soul in this room. Will you receive its correction? Will you receive its warning and turn with repentance and ridding yourself of it? And again, what what Paul has said, how he's started, and what he is emphasizing here is this fight and putting sin to death. It is ultimately fought out of the power of our new identity. He's emphasizing our identity in Christ, the newness of our identity. He's emphasizing the power that comes through that identity. And he's saying we fight at the level of our desires and what our hearts are seeking and what our minds are thinking and how we're orienting ourselves around Christ. We cannot forget verses 1 to 4, which lead into verses 5 to 11, to put sin to 
death. Well, the Christian life does demand change. We must put to death the ways of sin. But verses 12 to 17, we must put on the ways of Christ. You see, in Christ, we can now be curved upward in this upward pursuit of him. But the fruit of that in our life is, is that we are also now curved outward. We're curved outward in, in giving love and extending forgiveness and extending mercy to one another within the body of Christ. It takes our eyes off of ourselves and on to others. This is what Paul is teaching us. Look at verses 12 to 17 with me. I'll read them out because they are powerful words for us. Put on then, this same language of of putting on clothes. Before he says, that has already happened, but there is this active work of putting on clothes, the clothes of Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. And above all these, put on love. See, the way he describes this, I would sum it up in two ways. First is Christ has paved the way for us. Christ has paved the way for us, meaning he has given us his character, his attitude, his actions, his life, in which we are to follow in line with him. The key is what it says in verse 13. As Christ has forgiven you, so you must forgive. He has shown us the attitudes and the heart that we are to have towards one another and how we ought to treat one another, these internal attitudes and these external actions. But the reality is life in the community of faith can be hard. We can hurt one another. We can gossip about each other. We can be blinded by our own pride and filled with bitterness. I wonder how many small groups are represented here that maybe have stopped meeting because you're at odds with each other. Or it might sound a little goofy, but how many of you are coming to this service because you don't want to see somebody in another service? Maybe you're keeping a list of wrongs against your spouse and you feel like it's so long, I can't even count anymore. And you're holding on to the bitterness Who are you called to bear with today? Who are you called to forgive? Who are you called to extend love and live in humility before? Think about how the Lord has acted to you. There is no greater offense, no greater wrong than our sin against our Creator. And there's no greater unworthiness an undeserving nature than we, apart from Christ, of forgiveness. And yet there's no greater act of love, no greater demonstration of sacrifice to purchase and secure forgiveness than what Christ has done in his death and resurrection. We put on the clothes of Christ, these attitudes and these actions towards one another, not because we deserve them, And the other person deserves them. In fact, even even when they don't deserve them, Christ has paved the way for us to follow and live in the pattern that he has laid down. 
But he also, in verses 15 to 17, describes this reality that that Christ empowers the way. Look at these verses. Verse 15, the peace of Christ. Verse 16, the word of Christ. Verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus. From start to finish, as we are raised with Jesus, he is empowering us all the way to put to death sin and put on the ways of Christ He's providing his peace to rule over our hearts, in a sense to be the judge or an umpire in how we are relating and treating and viewing and thinking about one another. And he gives us his word, meaning the gospel as it's revealed in all of scripture so that it might strengthen us in the community. And he particularly talks about corporate worship Let me share with you just how you all have ministered to me this morning. After a service, when a preacher preaches, there is a tendency, just like I've already said, to be looking inward. And I was looking inward, thinking and reflecting about the last service, about the last sermon. How did it go? And then you started to sing that chorus. I love you, Lord. And you were teaching me. And you were ministering to me to no longer be looking inward, but you pointed me upward. We need one another. I needed you this morning so that I could be pointed upward and enter into worship with you. Often we minimize the power of corporate worship that is centered upon God's word and dwelling among us. God uses that to have its effect and strengthen us, to strengthen us to live, to strengthen us to change. As we sing together, as we pray together, as we hear God's word preached in small groups, in the home, with one another, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What a gracious gift from our Savior to empower us to live in his way. And he gives us his name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the team name on the front of a jersey. It's the name that we wear on the front of our clothes, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're doing all in our life for him in word and in deed, doing it with thanksgiving. The Lord Jesus Christ, his name is etched on our spiritual clothes that we are called to put on. And this is motivating us to be living for him and motivating us to be putting to death the sin in our life. Well, is the call to change simply just stop it? Is that what God's word has to say to us today? I think Paul has said something much different from Colossians 3. He says, first, is only if you've been raised, but if you've been raised with Christ, your identity has changed. Daily set your minds, set your hearts upon Christ, and it will start to change you. Live in community and put sin to death together with the power of his word dwelling among you. Seeking God in prayer together, ministering to one another, letting his peace rule our hearts, being motivated 
with the warnings and yes, being motivated with his name that is upon our chest, our spiritual clothes. We have something much greater as Christ is empowering us all the way. So today as you leave, you spend time with family, maybe at lunch, or as you're resting your head on your pillow tonight, would you think about this passage? Be reminded of your identity in Christ. Or maybe you're here this morning and you realize this is not me. I have not been changed. Well, turn to Christ and receive him and you will be raised to newness of life. But if you are raised in Christ and with Christ, think about the sin that is in your life that you need to put to death by his strength and in the community of faith. Think about the ways of Christ that you are neglecting or the gifts that you are neglecting to strengthen you, to help you, to walk. Have you received Jesus? If so, you're raised with him. So now walk in him, in the newness of life. Let's pray. God, we turn to you and we ask for your spirit to be convicting us of sin and calling us to live a newness of life. We're grateful that we have an identity through our union with Jesus, your son, that we have a life that has changed. Help us, Lord, to be strengthened in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.